It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. It is Wired, another week of the Pistons podcast right here on Pistons.com. We record on Thursday, March 14th, talking Pistons basketball with you. Welcome in, everybody. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you listening wherever you are getting your podcasts. As we talk about the Detroit Pistons, this team (laughs) continues to be an absolute roller coaster. And if you think I'm going to sit here today on the podcast and break down the last two games, the Monday night blowout loss at Brooklyn, the Wednesday night blowout blowout loss at Miami, you got to be crazy. These were terrible performances. The team did not play well. They had won 12 out of 14 heading into these two contests. Third game in four nights on Monday, and the Nets took it to them. And then Wednesday night, fourth game in six nights on South Beach. It was an unmitigated disaster. The team scores just eight third-quarter points and gets blown out. But here's the thing. This is the NBA. Those were two of 82. You don't make any excuses. The team did not play well. Now all eyes will turn to Friday night and LeBron James and the Lakers, who, oh, by the way, will be coming into town off a back-to-back, playing less than 24 hours later. They are in Toronto Thursday night for an 8 o'clock tip on TNT against the Raptors. Then they'll play at 7 on Friday against the Pistons. So let's see if the tables turn and the Lakers come in tired and limping and the Pistons can take advantage. But at the time of this recording, it's, it's pretty simple. The Pistons and the Brooklyn Nets are in a good battle for that sixth seed in the East. Nets lost Wednesday night in Oklahoma City. Pistons got tattooed by Miami. So right now, Brooklyn at 36 and 34. They sit in the sixth spot, a half game up on the Pistons, but the Nets schedule a lot more daunting, including a long road trip there in the midst of right now, and the Pistons schedule easier. Why is that important? Well, if you're the Pistons, you want to finish sixth and play Philly or Indiana. You don't want to finish seventh and have to play Toronto or Milwaukee, in my opinion. And I understand Dwayne Casey has a big-time familiarity with the Raptors, but those two teams, Milwaukee and Toronto, or Toronto, as I like to say, are clearly the best two teams in the East. In one minute, we're going to be joined by Ian Eagle, longtime TV and radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets. He did radio for years, now been on TV forever doing the Brooklyn Nets games. Ian, of course, also calls the NFL on CBS. And we'll be on the call for many playoff games on NBA TV and TNT. And we'll check in with Ian about what he thinks about the Pistons. He just saw them Monday night. And his thoughts on the Eastern Conference and the playoff picture in general. And we'll do that in a second. Want to invite you anytime you want to get a hold of me on Twitter. You can at Derry Speaks, D-E-R-Y Speaks. Or join me as well on the Matt Derry Facebook fan page. Of course, this podcast is posted at Detroit Pistons on DetroitPistons.com and at Detroit Pistons on Twitter as well. All right, a pleasure right now to be joined by the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on the TV side, Ian Eagle. You'll also see him throughout the NBA playoffs on TNT, NBA TV. And you saw the Pistons the other night on Monday night in Brooklyn when the Nets beat him. The Birdman, Ian Eagle, joins me. What's up, bud? Hey, Matt. Good to talk to you. What, uh, what, are, what are your impressions of Detroit? You saw him firsthand. I know you were just in Oklahoma City uh, on Wednesday night, but Detroit playing better, and then the last two nights getting blown out. It's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation, isn't it, with, with these teams probably 6 through 10 in the East, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, if you look at the way the Eastern Conference is set up, uh, you have a rather pronounced five teams that looked like playoff teams throughout the year. Yes, there have been some dips for Philly. There have been some dips for Boston. Indiana has weathered the injury storm and give them a lot of credit for remaining competitive. But the 6-7-8 spot, 
you're going to get teams that have been completely inconsistent this year. Uh, Detroit uh, that went through its rut and then went through the hot streak post-All-Star break. Uh, but now you're seeing the, the fact that the parameters are still very wide for their performance. The Nets, uh, a team that has improved significantly from last year to this year, and yet uh, you still day-to-day have to keep an eye on whether or not they can sustain it over the long haul. They're going through a killer road trip right now. Seven games, 17 days. And it's not even to say it's going to make or break their season because you just look at things mathematically underneath the Pistons and the Nets. Uh, You've got a Miami team, a Charlotte team, an Orlando team. All of them are completely difficult to predict on a night-in, night-out basis. So uh, five teams for three spots, uh, the Nets and Pistons looking mathematically pretty good at this stage of the year. What is it you like about Detroit, and what is it that you don't like? Well, I like how Blake Griffin has taken on the leadership role, embraced it, and he's played like a superstar. Didn't have a strong performance against the Nets the other night. I do think uh, any way you slice it in this league, when the schedule catches up to you back-to-backs and three and four nights, and although they've spaced out games this year, Blake has just been a bull. Uh, I like the fact that Andre Drummond, not the last two games uh, (laughs) that I would put on the ledger, but for the most part this season – has had his best year. It's been the most consistent. It's been the most motivated. I think he's taken well to Dwayne Casey's coaching. I think Casey's been really patient with him. One thing I learned from uh, doing a bunch of Toronto Raptors series through the years in the postseason, Dwayne Casey uh, has a very good way with players uh, interacting with them, leading them, and I think he has been the right fit for this Piston squad coming off Stan Van Gundy a completely different bedside manner. And that's not to say that it leads to conference championships and NBA finals, but the Pistons had to find a level of being relevant again and credibility in bringing it on a night-in, night-out basis. So uh, those two players stand out more than anything else. The fact that the light now has gone back on for Reggie Jackson, Ish Smith back from injury. He just changes the pace when he comes into the game. He's he's a difference maker. Uh, Thon Maker coming in and, and playing a role the way that he has. Yeah. He was upset in Milwaukee because he wasn't getting playing time, and yet uh, he's come in with a great attitude. I think they've maximized his abilities. So good mix. Uh, they got rid of some guys that just – weren't fitting in, and I think they've embraced the the Makers and the Ellingtons uh, to having legitimate roles on this team. One of the best there is in the NBA, Ian Eagle, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on TV, and also playoffs on TNT and NBA TV joining me here. You mentioned you know Andre Drummond before, and obviously Blake Griffin. Reggie Jackson, it's kind of the wild card. When he's on, the Pistons win. When he's not, they lose. I know Wednesday night, it didn't really matter. There was nobody on, and that's fourth, four game, fourth game in six nights, and you're on South Beach, Ian. You know how that works out sometimes, right? <laughs> Are you saying personally? I know how that works. No, out. I'm saying I'm saying you've been around. You've been in hotel lobbies. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lobby lurker. I'll, I'll say it. I've, I've hung around the lobbies. No, that's that's a, a complete trap game for every team in the NBA. I think New York. Miami, L.A., you have to keep an eye on how many days off they have, uh, how many games they've played prior. It's just natural. It's human nature. 
And I do think Miami has benefited from that through the years in in many ways. Uh, But with that said, uh, I'm not going to judge the Pistons solely off what they've done the past couple of games. I think looking at the totality of their team, they're just much more competitive. And I do think Blake Griffin is playing with an edge. And he has taken exception to the fact that he was a bit of a forgotten man after the Clippers thing went down. What you hear from people within the league is that Blake is a great guy that may have been a little bit misunderstood, that things went awry in L.A. with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and that Griffin got a lot of the blame, and maybe that was not fair looking back on it. But he's been able, I don't want to say to reinvent himself. I think he's just gotten back to who he is, and there's been a fire there that you can see even in the loss against the Nets. He was so frustrated, but... Uh, He didn't just put his head down and and go to the bench. He tried to take it out on the opponent, and it was getting very physical, and he was getting annoyed by Rodion's Kurutz, the rookie from Latvia, and he was throwing his body around. But it just shows to me how much he cares and the fact that they're building this team around him. He's well aware of it, and his reputation is on the line, and that's a good sign in my mind. By the way, where did that kid come from? You know, I started watching some Nets games, and I'm like, who is this guy? Rodion's, he's uh, he can play. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to tell you the comparison that we've seen throughout the year. Obviously, now people are starting to to latch on from a national perspective, but he has got so much Andre Kirilenko in him. The length, his ability to make plays defensively, and then be a one man fast break after coming up with steals. The jump shot is is there. It's it's a big part of who he is. He went through a long stretch. And he hit a wall uh, right around the All-Star break where the production dropped off. And I think the coaching staff lost a little faith in him. But they realized when they needed some energy and they needed someone that could change the game, they went back to Kuroots in the starting lineup. And he's now been starting at the four. He had started at the three spot. But it shows you his versatility, multidimensional. This is a kid... Last year, he's 21 years old, by the way, Matt. Last year, he's playing in in Spain, and he got demoted basically to the B team because they heard he was going to go into the NBA draft. And they said, all right, if you don't want to be here, then we're not going to invest any more time in you. He basically played what equated to seven games all of last season as a 20-year-old. And you just assumed, all right, this is going to be tough for him physically to make the adjustment to the NBA He just looked like he belonged. Right in the preseason, you could tell he was not intimidated. There was no fear. And it's translated quite well. This could be a serious second-round steal for Sean Marks and company. And they have him locked in under a very reasonable contract now for an extended period of time. So he's going to be one of the best bargains in the NBA. Ian, you've seen all these teams up close and personal calling the games. If you're a Brooklyn fan or you're a Pistons fan... How big is it to finish sixth over finishing seventh based on what Milwaukee and, and, and Toronto have done this season? Yeah. yeah, you know, Matt, I think obviously from the Nets' perspective, of course, uh, six would sound good. And for matchups to avoid Milwaukee, to avoid Toronto, it, it means that you could get Philadelphia, really talented team. If you're going to go pound for pound, they might be the most talented team in the Eastern Conference, but you just don't know 
chemistry-wise, and if they face any adversity, how that team will handle it come postseason. So maybe you're a little more comfortable with that matchup. From the Nets' perspective, making the playoffs is such a huge step. So yes, of course, you get caught up in matchups and the seeding number. But I do think, first and foremost, their focal point is just get to the postseason, show progress, show that the culture is changing, and show the free agents and the agents out there representing the free agents that this team is serious, this organization and franchise is serious about winning and about evolving as a team. For Detroit, I would be more concerned with with matchups. To me, you were supposed to make the playoffs. I know when you're so close to it and the speculation early in the season when things weren't clicking – uh, was that, ah, you know, maybe uh, this team needs to, to strip it down again. There's talent there. Uh, obviously, uh, they they needed to uh, make some decisions. They, they had to move on from Stanley Johnson. It was not working. Uh, this is a new regime. They had no real connection to him. And even though he was a high draft pick, eighth overall in 2015, uh, they just they needed to make a decision, and they did. And... I think that there's enough here that if they add some pieces, this is a team that should be, should be on the rise over the next two to three years. So seeding might be a little bit more important to them. To me, I'd want no part of Milwaukee. At least I know from, from the net side of things, they just don't match up well with them. You know, I think Adetokounmpo is going to go on a scary run potentially in the playoffs. Chris Middleton has given the Nets fits. Brooke Lopez has been such a nice addition. Bledsoe is a tough cover. And then the Toronto side of things, look, I don't know what Kawhi Leonard's thought process is. I don't think it will affect him in this postseason. He's a prideful guy. Uh, but you know and I know that the questions are going to keep popping up about his future. And what I've seen with Toronto in past years, it has nothing to do with this year's team, but in past years when DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry lost a, a playoff game at home and then all of a sudden the, the issues started popping up again that they were not built for the postseason, you don't know if that rears its ugly head again. I'm very high on Milwaukee. I think Toronto is excellent, but they realized that they needed to make some changes uh, even right before the trade deadline with the Gasol deal. They knew that they were not completely equipped for what they deem a potential run to the NBA Finals. If you're the Pistons, if you're the Nets, uh, you could find yourself in a matchup with a team that, that has to deal with some of these questions about playing on a big stage. This is Wired, the Pistons podcast. Matt Derry with Ian Eagle from Brooklyn. Of course, calls the Nets games on TV, and you'll see him throughout the playoffs nationally. All right, you mentioned the Pistons kind of being on the rise and possibly, and there's so many schools of thought in Detroit about this team. But the guy that's running the show now is Ed Stefanski, and I know you have some, some familiarity with him. We had Ed on a couple of weeks ago. He was completely candid. He was, couldn't have been more professional. How do you think he'll do in this, in this spot? Well, I, I can just tell you from a personal standpoint, Matt, uh, Ed has been one of the classiest guys that I've dealt with throughout my 25 years of calling NBA basketball. Uh, he's a stand-up person, and uh, he's been around the block, so he understands the challenge at hand. He's very well-liked within the community. Uh, that doesn't mean anything when you're trying to make deals and trying to make trades, but it does mean something when you are interacting and keeping the phone lines open in dealing with other teams around the NBA. 
I'm a big fan of his. I, I feel like he's always had a very good eye for talent, uh, but it doesn't mean that, that you bat a thousand. Uh, this next year and change will be really important for this Pistons franchise. Uh, how they use their draft picks, uh, the, the money that they do have available via free agency. Can they lure someone uh, into this scene and continue to build the way that they've been building? Uh, do they continue with Reggie Jackson and the five-year $80 million deal that, that he signed? I think Detroit is set up to be successful because of Blake Griffin, but that doesn't mean that uh, now it's easy street. They, they have some tough decisions to make. Let me ask you this, uh, you know, if you're on obviously online and I know, I know you're not on Twitter, by the way, which uh, that's a, that's a major, <laughs> well, that's a major complaint. I'm not officially on Twitter. Oh, I have, I have burner accounts. know <laughs> what's happening. Jeez. And you have your son. He can help you with that. He can help it. Yeah, it's not that I don't understand Twitter. I think there's been a misconception that the technology is too much for me. No, 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 no. I fully understand it, and that's <laughs> part of the reason why I'm not on it. <laughs> what would it take to get you on there? Oh, probably money. Uh, a seven, a seven-figure deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with this. Oh no. Anyway, so anybody, anybody that's online and reads about the NBA. All these names always come up, and, and the latest being this week when uh, your guy Jim Dolan got on the uh, on the Michael K show and said we're going to lure free agents. Everybody talks about L.A. Who, who's LeBron bringing with them? New York now? Are Kyrie and KD going? How tough is it for Detroit and for the team you cover, the Nets, which Brooklyn's right there to to get the to get these names? How come people aren't saying uh, go to Brooklyn? Yeah, it's it's challenging because the automatic assumption is that uh, the big-name free agents are going to go to big-name franchises. And I think that's a little bit of a misnomer now because of the way that the scale is set up financially and the fact that you can be a superstar anywhere. Russell Westbrook is going to probably play his entire career in Oklahoma City, and I don't think it's going to stop him from making gobs of cash off the court or making the Hall of Fame, all those things are going to happen for him just like they would have happened if he was a Nick or a Laker. Uh, that, that to me, those days are done uh, in terms of your marketability. The, the bigger challenge is the way your team is perceived by players and by the representatives of these players. That's why the Nets were so keyed in on changing their culture and convincing people around the league that this would be a desirable place to play a brand new practice facility uh, a general manager and an assistant general manager that actually care about their players care about their families creating that kind of environment doing everything first class best in class Uh, you can't just change it by snapping your fingers it doesn't happen in a year it doesn't happen in two years it happens over time, and what I've seen is a metamorphosis in the way that the Nets are viewed. The Pistons are trying to do it the same exact way. Uh, they're trying to build up the team, and they're trying to convince people around the league that things are different, that uh, they're doing things the right way. Uh, that's that's just not an easy thing to do, and I, I know your point, and it's a fair one, that uh, these teams are at a disadvantage, but all it takes is one. 
takes one player. It takes one Kawhi Leonard. It takes one Kevin Durant. It takes one Kyrie Irving. And that changes everything. Golden State, as an example. The Warriors, that was always a fun place to play, even when they weren't very good. They would fill up that arena at Oracle, and the fans were always into it. But they went through many years of losing. Right. And Steph Curry changed the team. And then you add Clay Thompson, and then you add Draymond Green, and then you add Steve Kerr, and eventually you add Kevin Durant. And now it's a great place to play. Now that's where players want to go, and they'll take less money, DeMarcus Cousins included. So my point is, it's it's very doable. It's just a larger scope uh, viewpoint of of how to do it, and then when you finally do it, uh, it can change from a generation to a generation of the way that fans view your franchise. What about shooting and how it's changed the game and the three point shot? Luke Kennard obviously is sort of a, a designated shooter. What, what does that mean for the Pistons and just how, how the game is played? Because obviously Detroit is doing a little bit unconventionally with you know two bigs, yep. and they're playing differently. How, how much has the game changed? Well, I've seen it matches from calling Nets games. Since Kenny Atkinson has taken over, every year they break their own previous mark, franchise record for three points attempted and three-pointers made. They've changed their style of play. They look at the percentages, they look at the numbers, and the advanced metrics show that you're better off attempting a three and making X percentage of them as opposed to becoming a team that shoots a lot of twos and making Y percentage of those twos. It's not necessarily something over my 25 years of doing this that I saw coming, but now I can understand it from a coaching standpoint. Uh, look, it's based on your personnel. And, you know, let's take Detroit as an example. They are now considered a throwback team because they've got a five that doesn't shoot threes. And there aren't many teams in the league that can say that anymore. Teams are changing the way they play. Small forwards are playing power forward. Power forwards are playing center. Stretch fours are now stretch fives. Brooke Lopez was encouraged by Kenny Atkinson to shoot threes. And it's changed his career. His career is completely different now because a coach saw something in him, gave him the green light. Jared Allen would be more of a throwback type, wiry, big man that can finish around the rim. They've asked him to work on his three-point shot because they need that to be a threat in their offense with their motion and their ball movement. They can't have a black hole. They can't have an abyss if teams scout it and they determine, all right, we don't have to play Jared Allen at all, then that changes the way they space the floor. So uh, it's it's something that I think is here to stay for a while. Whether or not it comes back around, it's going to be based on, on personnel. But DeAndre Ayton, as an example, uh, you can already see he's trying to extend his range. Five years ago, seven years ago, he would have been told, go to the post and don't ever leave. What are you doing? So... The philosophy is different. Is it better for the game? I don't know. From a play-by-play man's perspective, it's fun. It's yeah. fun when three-pointers go in. Sure. From a fan's perspective, it's meant more offense. Um, for a basketball purist, uh, I've seen some pushback. All right, final thing, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, and it's I don't know if it's fair or unfair. You tell me, but 
Obviously, it's an older, it's it's the past regime that did this. But when Stan Van Gundy was here, he did draft Spencer Dinwiddie in the second round. Now, yeah. when we watch the highlights, or you know, and, and again, you're on many of them. You know, this dude's hitting clutch shot after clutch shot, and the Pistons fans here go, "Oh, we had this guy, we let him go." Same thing with Chris Middleton, and obviously, right. those were second round picks. But is it unfair to criticize the Pistons for letting this guy go? And people forget he didn't go from Detroit right to Brooklyn. He had a, he made a stop in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, and he never made the big squad. He was on the Windy City Bulls. Uh, Chicago would bring him up occasionally, but he wouldn't play. I don't believe he ever suited up a game for the Chicago Bulls. I'd have to check my, my notes to, to make sure, but I don't believe so. So, yeah, you're right. In addition, there were then 27 other teams that could have gotten in the Spencer Dinwiddie business. He was floating around, and the Nets signed him to a minimum contract for three years, uh, eventually, he got rewarded, and he was getting antsy. Don't get me wrong. He was playing like a player that deserved a lot more money, and he got the three-year, $34 million extension this season. He's a really gifted player. Uh, the way he's built is perfect for what the Nets do, the versatility. He's 6'6". He can shoot the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can attack the rim. Uh, he had an injury back at Colorado that cost him a first-round pick. And I think it did change the course of his career. All of a sudden, he had a chip on his shoulder. People were disrespecting him. And I do think he's a really confident guy. I do think at one point he started questioning uh, his skills. And maybe he wasn't quite as good as he thought he was. And when he got the chance with the Nets, he obviously took full advantage of it. The part that, that you never quite know, Matt, and you've been around this so long, you're going back to your Syracuse days watching professional players back in their college days and trying to translate, can these guys really get it done at the next level? You can't measure heart, and you can't really measure uh, the human aspect of it, how you interact with your teammates, your drive to be the best, and the quest for success, how money affects a player. Getting a little bit of it, does it change their work ethic? With Dinwiddie, he's just been so motivated through the years. I get it. People are going to blame the previous team and their Pistons fans that look back, especially when Dinwiddie makes big shots against them because they have to be reminded of it. But he's not alone. There are a lot of players that slip through the cracks, that bounce around a little bit. Joe Harris would be another one on the Nets. If you're the Cleveland Cavaliers right now and you look back, you had him. He was a second-round yeah. pick. Yeah. He, but the other part of the equation, and here's the one part, Matt, that we have to at least toss in there, how do you develop these guys? That's not to say, and I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone with the pre- previous regime in Detroit, I don't know if they had the coaching staff in place to truly develop Dinwiddie. I don't know if Cleveland had the coaching staff in place to truly develop a Joe Harris. I don't know if the Lakers had the coaching staff in place to truly develop D'Angelo Russell. This connects to what we were talking about earlier. If you're a free agent and you're looking for a place to play, and a franchise now builds its reputation on developing talent, maximizing their talent, that's what the Nets are doing. That's what Kenny Atkinson is doing. And it's not just a nice narrative. It's real. I've now seen it happen time and time again with a bunch of these players, young players, that they take and then help make into something better. It's within them, the individual player, to get better, but they also have a staff in place 
that is taking advantage of the skills that those players bring and then developing some of the other skills. That's That's got to work part and parcel. And if it doesn't, there are a lot of players that never quite get to their ultimate uh, level of talent that they're capable of. Oh, it's, it's well put. And, uh, you know, when I think development and heart, I think of Buddy Beheim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got hey, you. He's shooting it well, man. Everybody early in the year thought Buddy was uh, not worthy of Division One ACC status, and the kid is showing that he belongs. Oh, we just lost the listeners. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know how to bring the house down, right? Come on now. All right, Ian, it was a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, Matty. We'll talk soon, man. Always a pleasure to check in with Ian Eagle, the Birdman, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on uh, Nets TV, on the uh, Yes Network, and also you'll see him during the playoffs on TNT and NBA TV, and he brings up a lot of good points about where the Pistons and the Nets are right now in the grand scheme of things in the Eastern Conference. This has been Wired on Pistons.com, brought to you by Jeep. We'll talk to you again next week, and hopefully see you at the LCA Friday and Sunday.